0: This episode is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage process into the 21st century with a fast, easy, and completely online process. Check out Rocket Mortgage today at QuickenLoans.com/Fool. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Alison Southwick, and I'm joined, as always, by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at the Motley Fool.
1: Good day, Allison. Good day. (laughs) Wait, you can do a better Australian. I'm not even going to try. Good day. How's that? I've never lived, I've never been in Australia. Well, this
0: week we're going to talk about the brick, or maybe it's the bricked, or the brick. Or the BRICS. We're talking about Brazil, Russia, India, China, and sometimes Turkey, Indonesia, or South Africa. And while we maybe couldn't agree on the acronym, everyone used to agree it was the place to be investing. So what happened? We're going to get some help from Uncle Joe Mager, foolish fan favorite, to break it down. All that and more on this week's episode of Mollyful Answers. It's time for Answers, Answers. And today's letter comes from Shauna. Shauna writes I have a dilemma. I have been a Stock Advisor member for years, and as we approach retirement, I realize that the management fees I pay our investment advisors will be about 25% of the amount we withdraw each year. I know this is too much to pay out, but I'm not sure how to transition out of a managed retirement account to a self-directed one with Motley Fool advice. It wouldn't make sense to sell everything and start over. What have others in this circumstance done?"
1: Well hello, Shauna. First of all, I want to make everyone aware of what Stock Advisor is. It is one of the newsletters you can subscribe to here at the Motley Fool, our flagship newsletter. Um, and I'm going to take a guess, Shauna, why you are estimating that you're going to pay about 25% of your portfolio withdrawals, of your portfolio withdrawals in retirement to your financial advisor. And that's because many people have heard of the rule of thumb of how much you can take out of your portfolio in retirement. It's called a safe withdrawal rate, and that rule of thumb is 4%. Um, some people think it nowadays should actually be a little higher, some people think lower, but still a good rule of thumb. So you take that out in your first year of retirement, and then you adjust it for inflation afterwards. But you also have a financial advisor. And a common way to pay a financial advisor is an annual fee, and these days the average is around 1%. So if you're going to take out 4%, but you're paying advisor 1%, that's a large percentage yeah. of your retirement income. Yeah. So I think you're right to be concerned about this. And you're also right because if you look at the studies that determine this 4% safe withdrawal rate, and again other studies will have it a little higher, a little lower, but most of them either didn't incorporate the fees that you pay advisors or they they assumed the fees would be like 0.2% to just assume you were investing in index funds. When you then incorporate a fee like 1% to a financial advisor, the safe withdrawal rate actually goes down quite significantly so it is an important thing to consider. So My first piece of advice to you is to evaluate the investment advisor. sounds to me like you're not satisfied, so you should definitely move on. But anyone else in that situation, you want to see, first of all, are they providing superior investment advice? The stock investments beating a relevant stock index, bond investments beating a relevant bond index? Are they providing other types of advice that you find valuable? Maybe they're providing tax advice. Maybe they're helping you determine how much you can spend in retirement. Maybe answering questions about life insurance. So you should evaluate all that, and if they're doing a good job, that's worth something and you should pay them. But if not, you can transfer the account either to another financial advisor or to a brokerage account that you direct yourself. There's no need to sell everything. You can transfer it. Go find the new financial advisor or the new discount brokerage and say, I want to transfer my account here, and they will initiate the process. In in industry parlance, it's called an ACAT, an account transfer. They will bring the money over or the the investments over most investments will come over. Certainly, individual stocks, common funds. Sometimes some won't. For example, if you're with um, a company and a financial advisor who owns who's, who's recommended to you a fund that only their company offers, if it's a proprietary investment like that, it might need to be sold. But the vast majority of investments can come straight over. You don't need to sell them. The one thing I would say is you want to get all your cost basis information before you move because sometimes cost basis information does not come over. It doesn't matter if it's in an IRA. What do you mean
0: by cost basis information? That is the
1: amount you paid for the investment. So if you paid $10 for it way back 20 years ago, 10 years ago, you want to make sure you have that information so that when you sell it, you have that so you can calculate the capital gain. It does not matter if it's in an IRA or 401 k If that's the case, don't worry about it. Um, And these days, Anything that you've bought recently, the cost basis information has to come over. But for older investments, a lot of the information can get lost when you go to a new account. But there's no reason to stay with a bad financial advisor. Choose a better option, transfer the account, you don't need to sell everything.
0: It's time to thank Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans again for sponsoring our show. If you like this show, Rocket Mortgage helps keep us going. And if you don't like the show, why are you even listening right now? Anyway, with Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your unique financial situation, all from the comfort of your couch. So, if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickandloans.com/fool. Equal Housing Lender licensed in all 50 states and MLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Joe Mager, one of my favorite Fools and now CIO of Lake House Capital is here! Hello!
2: Yay. Joe! If you're a
0: longtime listener of Motley Fool Money or Market Foolery, you'll remember beloved Uncle Joe Mager. He left us for Australia how many years ago? Three and a half. Yeah, to go work on Fool AU, uh, but he's visiting this week, so we dragged him into the studio just like every other podcast because we love him.
2: Yeah. and now I'm an uncle, like a real uncle, which is why I came back for the visit.
0: Why? Congratulations. Why was yeah, your legit. nickname Uncle Joe? Like, because just... I, I
2: got into this big cranky fight uh, with Bill one time about Amazon and Walmart, and it went on for a pretty long time. And Chris was like, "You sound like an angry uncle," and I was like. Maybe a cranky uncle. I thought the angry part was unfair.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, we brought you in to give us an appraisal of the brick. So you are based in Australia. you've turned I am your a back. Mason. You've turned your back on the United States, but I thought you would be able to provide us a unique perspective that's maybe not colored by our, you know our jingoist glasses here in America. <laughs> so first some history uh, with the brick. Are we ready? I might mess this up, so you guys feel free to chime in whenever. Sure. All right. The acronym BRIC has been around since 2001. It was coined by Jim O'Neill at Goldman Sachs in a paper titled, Building Better Global Economic Bricks. Cute, right? Get <laughs> it? A little bit of a pun. Yeah. The paper proposed that over the coming 10 years, the weight of the BRICS, literally <laughs> he did say the weight of the BRICS, will grow and continue um, and have a significant impact on the global economy. Basically, the BRIC was on the brink of something great. So, fast-
1: are you going to tell us what's in the brick?
0: Yeah, okay. So, in the brick was Brazil, Russia, India, China, sometimes Turkey, sometimes South Africa, sometimes Indonesia.
1: Yep.
2: Brics.
0: Um So, it depends on who you ask. So, fast forward 10 years, and I had just started working at the Motley Fool. Joe and I were buddies. Like, we talked, we probably emailed on a daily basis because he. Was so great about doing interviews. I would be like, "CNBC wants to talk about blah," and he'd be like, "I'll do it," and he would do it. He was the best. All right. So fast forward ten years, I'm working at the Motley Fool, and people were still talking about the promise of the brick. Fast forward another five years, and that's where we are today. Mm. But where are we really,
2: Joe? The, the bricks kind of got thrown through a window. Very
0: see, right. Like I feel like a cute. A cute little pond got taken maybe a little too far. <laughs> yes.
2: Someone
0: got trapped. Uh, Jim O'Neill got trapped by his own pond. But We're going to basically go through each of the countries. Um, I'll give you bonus points if you also want to tackle Turkey or South Africa or Indonesia, but don't feel like you have to. So First off, Brazil. What's up with Brazil these days,
2: Joe? Bad things, unfortunately. So They've hosted some major sporting events and poured a lot of money down the drain. Uh, the country is basically dealing with stagflation. Government issues. Stagflation, uh, they've got high inflation. It's up, uh, it's been around 8, 9% recently. Pretty painful. Economy's not doing well. It's hard for a central bank to get its way out of that. Kind of like the US in, let's say, the late 70s, early 80s. Just not a good time.
0: All right. What about Russia?
2: Also, not a good time. Uh, they have moved away from being open towards being more closed, made it more difficult for foreign capital to move in and out pretty painful if you're an international investor and you bought based on a brick-like thesis. Uh, Putin has really tightened the screws on the economy, not invested to take the economy beyond a very oil-based one, and it's coming back to bite them in a very bad way. They're running pretty massive deficits. Right.
1: Actually, as of the first three months of this year, according to CNN Money, Russia was actually the number one oil producer in the world. Um, so, when you have a an economy so reliant on oil, when oil prices just plummeted, you're in a lot of trouble if that's what you're relying on. Mm-hmm.
0: Next up, I, India.
1: India. So, this is a
2: bright spot. Um, the country has been a little slower relative to others at points, but I like where the country's going over the super long-term, and I think Modi is doing a great job of liberalizing the economy in India. However, it's a super, super long-term play. There's a lack of infrastructure, uh, bureauc- bureaucracy is run amuck. There's a lot to be cut through there. but. I think there's still a very bright future in the country, but it's going to be a slower burn than China has been.
0: All right. Then that brings us to China.
2: Yeah. So, China, um, okay. Looking back, China has definitely been the star student or the strongest part of the BRIC. uh, And they have grown at very high rates for a very long time. However, that has been significantly fueled by debt. So, between 2007 and 2014, the aggregate debt in the country quadrupled. That's a lot. Sounds like a lot. Um, And the pace at which they've grown their debt load during that time, the only four countries that were comparable, were three of them were pigs and the other was Singapore. Um, Not really a group of countries that overall you want to be associated with, and roughly speaking, if their debt increased by the same proportion, again, from 2007, 2014, again, seven years forward, they'd be in league of where Japan is, in terms of debt to GDP. And Japan is choking on debt; they're drowning. So it's not a sustainable situation. Uh, I went to China early last year for a couple of weeks. Came away extremely bearish. There's just so much overcapacity in the country. They're building stuff they don't need because the government ultimately, its its legitimacy is based on the economy and and helping it to grow steady growth. So the first airport you build in a city makes a lot of sense. The third one. Not a lot of payback on that, and that's kind of where they are. Um,
0: and you went to one of the ghost cities, right? Like, we did, and what was that like?
2: Ghosty and creepy. Uh, <laughs> so we went to this city, uh, that's about an hour outside Tianjin, which is a massive city itself that nobody's heard of because it's China, it's a gigantic country, and you just don't keep a scale of uh, how big it is. Um, this ghost city was just it was exactly what you would think. It was a loosely a replica of Manhattan. There were hardly any cars or people around. Probably more awkward private security walking around. I don't know <laughs> if they were private, or who exactly they worked for, but we took photos and did some video, and we tried to get in and out pretty quickly, because none of those people looked very welcoming. Um, just a massive overbuild that has no real economic value and is pretty unlikely to come around and there are many of them in the country
0: so what what happened did someone basically like lump a bunch of countries together mm. that each had their own little story that went its own bad or even worse way and so all those people who were like blanket get into the brick invest in the brick you invest in this big bundle of stocks and these countries and then it's like well each one kind of went Sideways for different reasons.
2: Yeah, I mean they all they went sideways for different reasons. Although Russia and Brazil both were pretty oil based, and they both got tagged pretty hard. China was a very different thesis, as is India. Um, I think it's really cute and convenient to be able to lump these things in together. In reality, they all had pretty different risk profiles, different leadership regimes which have all played out very, very differently. And it's a good reminder of to to their credit, you do need to take and think about this in terms of a basket approach. And I think anyone who's just looking at any of these individual countries and going all in on them is exposing themselves to a lot of risk, political risk, commodity risk, currency risk. Risk, risk, risk. <laughs> so, uh, I think that overall it's nice to have a sleeve of these kind of countries and emerging markets in your portfolio, but you don't want to go too heavy on that, and you need to take a long-term view that they're going to be really volatile over the short-term, for
1: sure, and, and over the medium-term as well. When you worked here at The Fool, you were working on services that picked U.S. stocks, mm-hmm. and now you've gone to Australia and you're focusing on that stock market. Um, do you have a more international viewpoint in terms of your own portfolio now and, and where you invest?
2: Yeah, I've got less of a, a home bias. Um, I'd say for for normal, everyday people, it's hard to get Emerging market exposure in a good way. So, Tim Hansen is always fond of talking about how you can get passive investments and you can do an index fund or an ETF, but the trouble is you just end up owning these massive, what effectively like massive state owned banks, um, oil companies that are public, but they're controlled by governments. And you're not getting the exposure to the better part of the story, which is like the consumer story and a rising middle class. So, it helps to (laughs) It helps to actually try to find the individual consumer companies. But if you're busy and you're a normal person, that doesn't make <laughs> a lot of sense. Yeah. So, one option could be just looking for funds that, that scratch that itch, that have a really good track record with low and reasonable fees.
1: Right. And a good one, by the way, is t. Rowe t. Price has a great emerging markets fund that people should consider if they're looking for this. And I think the whole story behind emerging markets was sort of the foundation for the whole bricks. And when you t- look at 10 years ago or so, people just felt like the developed world was getting older, a little stodgier, and you look at the growth rates of a lot of emerging market countries, and I think to a certain degree, the BRICS got picked out because they were the biggest and the ones that had the highest profiles. But a lot of of it was this emerging market story, which when you pile into that, if, if there's a big story like that that drives up the stocks of those companies in those countries. If you then get into it, it's it's almost to an extent you've got in too late. Hmm. Um, Vanguard did a couple of good reports earlier in this decade, in 2010 and 2013, looking at the correlation between a country's growth and the growth of its stock market, and surprisingly, there's actually not that much of a correlation um, because sort of what I've just said, in that certain degree, when you see the GDP growth that drives the stock market up too high it's become overvalued and it's become a bubble and also a little bit along the lines of what joe said in that a, na- a nation's stock market isn't necessarily reflective of its true economy a lot of the growth can be driven by other companies and it's not reflected in the stock market so
2: that's so super true yeah. and something I, i've experienced in australia which yeah. is a, a very large developed economy but the top half of the market is 10 companies and it's basically four big banks a couple of large retailers and um, a couple commodity companies. And then there's another 2000 that make up the rest of the index that are more representative of kind of everyday life. Yeah.
0: All right, so that was the brick. A lot of articles I read lately say like the brick is dead, but it, they they somehow turn it into a pond. The book the, yeah, the brick it's is hard. broken, the brick. So what what's the what's the lesson here going forward? If I there think that, is one at all,
2: yeah. To, to tap something, bro said earlier. I think by the time a really cute acronym has been come up with for something, that probably means a lot of the money has already been made. So, like, <laughs> Fang jumps out, right? <laughs> right, right. And I don't Face- know, if people.
0: Facebook, Amazon, Alphabet. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel like the ne- A changes well, as much as. the I guess the... it'd be
2: fauna. Fa- <laughs> but yeah, it was <laughs> Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. Oh yeah, and okay. They'd all, they'd all done incredibly well. I own. Uh, Amazon and what is now Alphabet. I think they're great businesses. All four great businesses. That said, everyone is pretty well latched onto that at this point. So I think anytime you just kind of distill something down, and it's that cute, reality is reality is just not that cute, and you need to be more <laughs> diversified than that. And it's easy to get caught up on that focus when you should think bigger.
1: Yeah, when everyone is agreeing on an investment premise, it's probably it probably means that the money's already been made, and it's not necessarily the best place to be. And then it turned for the BRICS and they did not do so well, and then everyone hated them. Well, what's been the best performing country so far this year? Brazil. Because after a few years of being among the worst countries, everyone hated it and everyone talked about how the BRICS were falling apart. That's probably the time to start buying.
2: Yeah, and to flip this around for Americans and and a handful of Australians listening um, They do
1: listen. We do have Australian
0: listeners. Hi, Scott.
2: They're upside down, though. This is, um This is a common thing you'll hear from people in Australia, that property doubles in value every seven years. So, that would be like 10% annualized growth in property. And property's done incredibly well over around 20 years in Australia. There's been a huge bull run. There hasn't been a recession in 25 years. Life's been great. However, it does sound great in Australia. You know, honestly, it really is great. But, um, <laughs> It's a, you know an American hearing. Oh well, property it keeps going up ten percent a year every year, and uh, someone who has seen that logic before when people felt that way, and then seen how it plays out after, I'm a little more skeptical about property there. So. <laughs> can so you buy did... can you buy property there at this point? Not with my current visa, but I'm working Put to change working my visa. Okay. Are you going to become yes. a citizen? I'm going to become a permanent resident. Aw, yeah. Mm -hmm. Hopefully they don't kick me out because I think property's expensive. It's a sacrilegious thing to say. Yes, love Vegemite though, so think of that. Well,
0: our listeners know that I do not, so we'll have to agree to disagree on Vegemite. You are wrong. I'm right. It's an opinion.
1: Tiny kangaroo down, sport. Tiny kangaroo down. Time kangaroo down, sport. Time kangaroo
0: down. Joe, you've been in Australia for a few years now and you really love it, right? Mm-hmm. How uh, does one put in to get transferred to Australia here at The Motley Fool?
2: Hmm. I think a time machine would be helpful. Dang uh, it. Yeah, We. I just got moved over there to help grow the business. What? Almost four years ago was a decision. Back then, Scott Phillips was the only other investor on the ground. Now we've got seven. So. Things have grown quite a bit, but I am super bullish on Australia. I love Australia. Quality of life is amazing. And yeah, I mean, we're just settling down roots, and that's where we're staying. All right. So,
0: so that was your polite way of saying, sorry, Allison, we can't transfer you I to Australia, so, yes. wasn't it? Okay. <laughs> all right, that's fine. Well, anyway, today for our fun time segment, we're going to test how much of a local Aussie you have become with a quiz of Aussie slang. Oh, boy. Are you ready? These are not all, there's only three. So if you get one out of three, I'm gonna be impressed. All right. First one is budgie smugglers. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what? <laughs> that is um that's like a, a male like swimsuit that's kinda like a speedo. It's like a speedo.
0: It's in the so, Oxford English say, dictionary. Say that
1: word again, please.
0: Budgie, which is a bird, smuggler. <laughs>
1: Is what they call a really tiny
0: little speedo.
1: Yeah, I'll let you
0: figure out why. Okay. Good job. See, ding, 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 ding. You
1: got one right. Do you own a budgie smuggler? No comment. Okay.
0: (laughs) When in Australia, you know.
2: When smuggling
0: budgies. (laughs) All right. The next one is, and this one I had to talk to Peter Varley to make sure I was pronouncing it correctly. Furfy.
1: I don't know what that one is. Peter Varley, by the way, from Australia. Yeah, he's he's legit. Yeah. yeah.
0: Furfy. Neither of you know what a Furfy is? <laughs> no, it sounds okay. like a
1: Furby. I was going to say the same thing.
0: A Furfy is a rumor or an unreliable story.
1: Mm. Do you want to know what
0: it comes from? It's pretty cool what it comes from. Uh, it comes from WW1. Comes from World War I uh, and trench warfare. And this company named Furfy created these wagons, and they would carry supplies and like water or trash or whatever from trench to trench. And so, the idea being that a story might travel from trench to trench, and every trench it goes, the story changes a little bit. So, by the time mm. it makes it to you, the story is unreliable. It's
1: like the telephone game.
0: Yeah, like the telephone game. That's a good one. That is a good one. All right. Are you ready for the next one? Yeah. A tall poppy.
2: Oh, I know what a tall poppy is. You Uh, do? A tall poppy is someone who thinks they're above everyone else and they've risen above the, the rest of the crowd. There's a big... Yeah, tall poppy syndrome is a big thing in Australia. Tall
0: poppy syndrome, yeah. So tall poppies. Have you heard of tall poppies? I have
1: not. I didn't. Are, there, are poppies a big thing in Australia? Do they have a heroin no, <laughs> no. They, they're grown in Tasmania.
0: But this is super. This is super interesting too. So, all right, the tall poppy syndrome is basically what Joe's talking about, and it's this culture where people of high status are resented, attacked, or cut down um, because they've been classified better than anyone else. And
2: they well, part of it is it, they're looking towards the sky and not. Uh, they think they're too good for well, the it, rest of the poppies. it
0: comes from an ancient Greek story. I don't know. Anyway, so uh, it's specific of a reference. Okay, the specific reference to poppies occurs in Livy's account of the tyrannical Roman king Tarquin the Proud. He's said <laughs> to have received a message from his son Sextus. Tarquinius asking what he should do next in Gebby. I don't know. Since he'd become all powerful there. Rather than answering the messenger verbally, Tarquin went into his garden, took a stick and symbolically swept it across his garden, thus cutting off the heads of the tallest poppies growing there. So basically he was saying, go fire all your go go well not fire kill. Come on. <laughs> These people we're talking about would be killing them. Kill all of your eminent people. And that's what the guy did. Um,
2: so it's not quite that severe in Australia. I no. just should just, just clarify. <laughs> but
0: this gets to an interesting part about Australian culture that um, that well, at least it taught me a little bit more. So I know that in Australia, their sense of humor and like being friendly with each other is largely based on making fun of each other and cutting each other Big down. Big time. Big time. And this goes to a deeper part of Australian culture where we're all equal.
2: Yes. Which yes. I
0: didn't really, I didn't really think about. It. I knew that they they were big on like taking the piss out of each other, as <laughs> the saying goes. Yes. Uh, but I didn't realize that they had this strong, strong sense of equality.
2: Yes, it's like a broad concept, like mateship. Basically, is that everybody is equal. And a, a simple, clean example that Americans could get is that if you get in a cab in Australia and you were to sit in the back, that'd be considered insulting. Really? The They'd be like, "Well, what's the matter? Are you too good to sit up front?" Really? Drive? Huh. Yeah. So, of for course, sure. I inadvertently offended numerous cab <laughs> <laughs> You got two out of three.
1: Congratulations for that. I, that's I think really you guys back home will be impressed. You're going to get so Carl too. Castle's voice on your voicemail. No, wait, that's another radio that's show. That's a different show. Oh.
0: I wish we were as funny as them. Uh, anyway. Uh, what about you? Do you, what's like? What do you think is some interesting slang that you've learned while you've been in Australia? Gazumped.
2: I love gazumped. What is gazumped? So gazumped is like you've made a bid on a property. You're excited. You're going to buy it, but at the last minute, someone swoops in and tops your offer, and they get the house. They gazumped you.
0: But real estate really is a big deal in Australia.
2: Yeah, I think that word is awesome. Gazumped. <laughs> gazumped.
1: Today, you actually gave a speech to uh, fools who chose to hear your speech. And you talked about an index in Australia the S&P ASX Small Ordinaries Accumulation Index. just rolls off the it does. <laughs> are ordinaries. Is that what they call stocks? That's basically yeah, common stocks. Interesting. Any other financial terms that are different there? Do they call them stocks? Or they call them shares like they do in England. They,
2: they do use sh- do shares. Sometimes you might also say stock. I'm pretty sure I get it wrong a lot of the time, Got but it. I do my best. And I, I do my best to drop uh, anytime I say Z, I would say Z. I'm pretty good about Changing my Z's to S's so Australians would know what I'm talking about and make an effort.
0: But. Thanks for coming and visiting with Thanks us. Thanks for having me. Great, great to see you, you again, Joe. Yeah. All now. Time to kangaroo
2: down sport. Time to kangaroo down. Time to kangaroo down sport. Time to kangaroo down.
0: That's the show. I want to thank Gary and Candace for sending us a postcard from Normandy, Kirk from the Minnesota State Fair, and Kareem from Kazakhstan. Wow. Isn't that cool? Kazakhstan. Yeah, that's really cool. Ah, the show is edited Lara Kinley by Rick Engdahl. Apparently Larakin is a sl- Aussie slang for a rowdy youth. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, our email is answers at fool.com. Uh, if you haven't left us a review on iTunes, we surely would appreciate it, or wherever you listen to the show. Um, it helps us rise in the rankings and get new listeners, and everybody wins.
1: And we just kind of feel good about ourselves.
0: And it doesn't. Well, assuming it's like good feedback. Yes.
1: If it's bad feedback, go leave it on some other website that doesn't really exist or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> just don't go. Just don't go to iTunes. Just. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: Okay. Uh, for Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay bullish, everybody.